Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. Today we have the pleasure of talking to Alan Patrick. He's someone who's deeply involved in the D&D publishing scene, as well as in organized play. Our get-to-know-you question today is, what is your favorite D&D monster and why? Alan, why don't you go first? There are so many fantastic options. I was introduced to Nilbogs uh, forever mm, ago yeah. because I hit a cruel and unusual DM, and we, in the end, loved it after we stopped cursing him. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think for recent creatures, mm-hmm. um, well, a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, I'm introducing a new creature for Adventures League play, which is the bill-bodied Travis Headed Hydra. It, it's going <laughs> to be fabulous. The, the bill-bodied yeah. Travis Headed Hydra. Yeah, that's right. This would be Bill Bill Benham and Travis, Travis Woodall. Woodall. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Bill, now on the Wizards team, was originally one of our, uh, like, from the early roster of Adventures League admins, uh, mm-hmm. along with myself and Travis. Uh, Bill and Travis go way, way back, so mm-hmm. we're sort of immortalizing them uh, in an upcoming supplement. I mean, goodness knows, Ben and I call them sometimes Travis and other Travis, or Bill and other Bill. Oh, yeah, it's it's Bill's body, Bill's head, and then four Travis heads, and none of them speak the same same language, so I'm really looking forward to having people put this on the table. They're secretly just the same person. One of them is the simulacrum, and we don't know which one of them it is. Right. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Do we want to know my yes. favorite monster yes. again? Okay, well, in case anyone's forgotten, <laughs> uh, my favorite monster still remains 40 kobolds all at once. And why, you might ask. Um, well, really, why not? Uh, the sheer look of terror on my players' faces as I ran them through, uh, what is it, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and every time... I started dumping my minis on the board. They would be like, "How many are you putting out?" Mm. And like that—that's—that's that's pretty much yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. it. Forty kobolds, all at once, to your face. So uh, anyone who knows me knows my favorite monster, bar none, is the knoll. But I will break with tradition here and say my favorite monster is the fourth edition knoll, not okay. the fifth edition knoll. Mm-hmm. Well, what makes that one so much uh, special? So the 5th edition knolls are kind of written, uh, at least by Volo. We know he's an extremely untrustworthy oh, source. Unreliable narrator. Volo is not the definitive resource? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so he writes 5th edition knolls like sharks. They're just eating machines. And, uh, and that's not very fun. And in 4th edition, they were 
very wily. They had mimicry abilities to lure people into their traps, and mm -hmm. they were quite intelligent hunters. Intelligent, cunning, and devious, and so that's, that's, that's what I liked. Mm -hmm. That's actually how I really got to know you at the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was the fourth edition. In fourth edition, you could be a null PC, so I was on that, like, green on beans. And you had mm -hmm. the hyena hat already then. I did, I did. Mm -hmm. As expected. That's and uh, we had a whole pack of gnolls in Atlanta. And I never will forget the day that uh, we had all the gnolls at a table and Sean Molly was DMing for us. <laughs> and he about hung up his spurs that day. <laughs> 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 that was about the end for him. Fantastic. So, Alan, one thing that uh, we often like to cover in our show is how do people get your job? We've got an audience of listeners out there that love to play D&D. And they're always like, man, I want to make the jump from D&D as a passion and a hobby to D&D as my job. Mm -hmm. How did you get where you were today? That is a long and convoluted story. So I think we'll go with just the, the highlights, right? Too much. Sum up. <laughs> just, just a little bit. In summary. In summary. Um, in short, there was an open call when we were developing Adventures League. Uh, mm -hmm. So with to, to coincide with the launch of 5th edition, there was an open call for resumes, wizards, did some interviews. Um, I had previous organized play experience for another organization uh, and had been fairly active in a positive manner among different online communities. The, mm -hmm. the time Wizards had their own forums and uh, Facebook and some other things as well. Mm -hmm. And there were associations drawn. They liked how I interviewed and then uh, they're like, here, go do community things for us. And I've since moved out of that role and I'm now on the resource side. Uh, but the, the biggest what is, thing... What does resource do? Resource makes sure that well, resources, all the moving parts, get from point A to point B. So for, say, for event organizers, they work with uh, the resource team, myself and Claire mm -hmm. and uh, Sean Merwin, who handles that for the Eberron side of the campaign. And we ensure that they get the content that they, they need, that they've been approved for. If they have a product support request, we facilitate that uh, through Wizards. Uh, a, a lot of those general program inquiries begin with us, mm -hmm. at least from the nuts and bolts side. Uh, not the fun community stuff. We do more of the business side of things. So if I was a convention organizer and mm -hmm. I wanted to get product support from mm -hmm. Wizards, how would I go about that? The first critical step is to go to dndadventuresleague.org slash events and fill out the form. The form will have you upload your code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone's code of conduct is going to be a little bit different, and that is okay. But we want to make sure that we are sending our support whether it's digital or physical through like a product support request, uh, that we're sending that to locations that and in public events that are upholding common core values that we can preach everywhere. Such as? How is harassment defined for your event? How can staff members be found? If something happens, how can those events be reported? We want people to feel safe in the gaming environment, whether it's digital or sitting down at a table at a game store, at a convention, wherever. And we want people to be empowered to have a good time and making sure that we're all looking at core safety values. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, bubble wrapping the experience. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is key. It's critical. And having that in print is, is something that we absolutely need to see more commonly. Yeah, yeah. And you're also looking for inclusion, right, from those conventions as well? Absolutely. Um, like, the gaming world is huge. And it's, it's not just uh, old guys with beards. Yeah. There's, there are so, so many other talented... I've been talented. working on mine. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> there are so many other talented gamers out there, and we want to hear all of those voices. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you look at, say, streaming, 
streaming, you see a lot of uh, just various backgrounds. You see people from all walks of life and all cultures, all nationalities. Uh, you see a lot of uh, uh, non-binary. You see a lot of gay or bisexual, and that's that's awesome. Live out loud, play the game you want to play, and we want to help support you through that process and mm-hmm. having a clear code of conduct that supports those visions and those values and spotlights how they're important to you makes it important to us. Hmm. So the other thing that's on that forum, too, the resource handles is mm-hmm. the uh, the CCC program, the Community Creative Content. Yes. That's your favorite part, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean... I did pitch the CCC program, so yeah, I you feel, feel pretty... a I, little bit like the dog that caught the mail truck? I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. There's some really cool stuff that spun out of there. Yeah. Uh, it grew like nobody's business. I, I have more colorful terminology that yeah. we can do off mic. Right, <laughs> right. But it grew faster it, than perhaps was expected. Yes, it grew way faster. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of published adventures out there when you say hundreds and hundreds like do you really mean like maybe up to somewhere between 300 and a thousand well it's definitely in that range it's uh, i think right now we're, we're sitting around 500 wow that okay. have been a- approved for publication uh and for a program that is really not hmm. not all that old two years three years it's uh it's four four it's, it's about four years right now mm-hmm. and like it started really really slow maybe I think our first year we might have had 40. Yeah. And then uh, it grew so rapidly after that. Uh, Last year, I think, when we were looking at some of the data before we started changing some of our practices, Mm -hmm. I I think Claire and I handled requests for new CCCs probably in the neighborhood of about 200 uh, last year alone. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And those were the ones that were actually sent to our Adventures League uh, like our work email, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does not include anything that was sent to us via personal email, private right. message. That's, we, are, we do tend to be pretty accessible. so. But you prefer to get them at resource. Oh, yeah. That makes it real easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a requirement now. It, it is a requirement now, yes. Good, good. Centralize all the tracking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been a cool program. We've seen a lot of really cool voices emerge mm-hmm. that have gone on to do some really cool things uh, across the industry. So, Such as? Uh, oh God! Uh, if you've been following DMs Guild stuff, uh, some of our CCC authors have contributed to major products there, mm-hmm. uh, like Uncaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Uncaged has been a runaway success. That, yeah, that last whole time I of checked, books. Volume Four, four had yep. sold over eight thousand copies. And That's I beautiful. A week. And that one didn't come out that long ago either. No, no. it's been out for ten days, maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And I'm not saying that it's because of what they do with CCCs. They're great designers on their own. Yeah. Uh, but people can use that CCC program to build confidence in their own ability to craft and deliver a story. It can be really intimidating to set out and design something from the ground up. And doing something with CCCs, we provide a template. You get some content feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to be pretty loose with it because they're, they're not canonical stories. So, so who cares? It's not who cares. Obviously, somebody cares, and we want those stories to be awesome, but it's sort of like uh, if you follow DC Comics, it's like the Elseworlds stories. Yeah. Just because events happen in your CCC doesn't mean that my CCC is going to have to uh, refer to those events or even acknowledge that they ever happened. Right. All we really ask when people design those things is, like, don't blow up the major cities. 
uh, don't like bring Elminster in, and people know enough about Dritzt to know that he's not part of the Adventures League. So <laughs> we, we rebuilt a city, actually. Yeah, and we, right. We care a lot about you know continuity and, and especially and it's, Elmwood. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's great to see those designers like yourselves band together and support each other's mm-hmm. sections of that. So even though they're non-canonical, players can still have a more cohesive storyline. If I had all the time in the world and all the budget to do it. It would be great to, you know, to bind all those together and you know create a, a more long-term standing story bible. Sure. But uh, oh my gosh, that's a lot of that's, management. That's a lot of cats to rodeo. <laughs> oh Jesus! And they're all wet. Yeah. And angry cats sometimes. Feral. 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 Feral's a great way to say it. Yeah. Just yowling all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you do a lot of writing. Not all of it for Wizards of the Coast. Right. Uh, what advice do you have for new authors? Because there's a lot of people out there that have that story in them, mm-hmm. and they want to get it out there. How do they? How do they do that thing? It, twofold. One, accept that it's intimidating, because because it is. Yeah. You're, you're committing something down that other people are going to have to read. It's intimidating. It's terrifying. It, right. And every author feels that. If any author ever tells you that they're not at least a little intimidated by starting a new project or delivering a new project, then uh, I, I would lying. call into doubt like just yeah. how truthful they're being there. And the other thing is, just do it. There are a lot of authors that are established that will say, you have to write a thousand words a day, you have to write a page a day. No, you don't. You just have to do it. Do it at a pace that is good for you, Mm-hmm. Everyone writes at a different pace. Don't count your words that way because once you get edited, you might lose 30% or 60 or maybe a whole page. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But do it. Put something out there. Hit publish and get other people to look at it because that's how you get feedback. When you say hit publish, what do you mean? Uh, for uploading through like DMs Guild or some other resource, mm-hmm. uh, drive through RPG. Save it and ship it. Just exactly. Don't, sh- don't shoot for perfection. Nobody's perfect. There are a lot of really good authors out there, but nobody ever hits a perfect, has a a perfect delivery. There are Mm -hmm. always issues, and you'll never be the exception. You probably do want to ship it to an editor first before you ship it to the DMs Guild, but... Well, that helps. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if you don't have an editor, send it to a friend and let them... Mm-hmm. Look it over, but don't 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 worry yourself over it and don't stress. I I would have a nervous breakdown if I made myself commit to writing a thousand words a day. That does not happen. There there are days where I write a lot more than that, and yeah. there are a lot of days where I don't write any. There yep. there are many days when I'm like, I think I got five hundred today, and I mm-hmm. feel pretty good about that. Yeah. yeah, you don't need to write a full hardcover. You're you're not writing the next Curse of Strahd. So what should people consider for their first writing project? Whatever they feel passionate about. Maybe you want to do a stat block and a little lore entry on some creature that you've had in your home game that you want to share with the world. Mm-hmm. It's one page, it's two pages, but you care about it, and that makes it important. So do that. If you want to write a big a convoluted adventure that has a thousand different named NPCs and all that, if you're passionate about it, give it a shot. But be open to doing smaller projects as well. I really enjoy the encounters projects that I do, because you can kind of just take like an idea that you had... like. A creature that you're really passionate about and mm-hmm. like a sort of location and be like I'm just gonna do this little idea and we can drop it into something bigger later but I just want to focus on this one encounter they go into a clearing and there's a shiny object and 
sneaky pygmies and everybody almost dies and it you know it's just something simple like that i think that's a, a great way to start into it with mm-hmm. a more manageable chunk absolutely mm-hmm. and you'll see the adventures will design out of that as well most of the the adventures that i've put together have some iconic uh monsters used in non-traditional uh, setups mm-hmm. uh the spoiler for everybody listening here is i just ran these two and some others through an adventure today that featured a jumping gelatinous cube <laughs> <laughs> Facebook post, but uh, I was hiding in a bottle, body of water, and was playing Barbarian Bros with my friend. He jumps into the water to find out what it is, and it doesn't ripple, and I'm like, bro, and jump in right behind him before Alan has a chance to explain why this is the worst <laughs> idea Oh, no, it wasn't, ever... it wasn't the worst idea. It no. was pretty glorious. No, it... <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. It was pretty funny. And then, so the, so the gelatinous cube comes up out of the body of water, and we're tier one adventures so we're all pretty small and we do the appropriate thing that tier one adventures do which is scatter yes because we don't want to all be in the same place at the same time and uh, a couple people had uh, gotten far enough back where they thought they were pretty safe until the thing jumped like 15 (laughs) feet (laughs) had a bunch of people around the table with their big eyes looking at him like it did what (laughs) excuse me Magic items are weird. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, it good. Yeah, using things in non-traditional ways, you start with that creature you're really passionate about, and you flesh it out. And maybe it's a two-page thing. Maybe it becomes something bigger. Mm-hmm. Go with it. Just do it. Like speaking of things that you're passionate about, you have a, a series of adventures that are kind of your, I don't know, signature thing now that everyone mentions. They're kind of terrified about it. I assume we're not talking about owl bears. No, we're not talking about owlbears. It's, it's a bit more wormy. Oh, yeah. That little guy. So, yeah, uh, so uh, Caius, uh, the worm god, the worm that walks, traditionally referred to as a Greyhawk power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greyhawk other campaign that uh, we're not currently exploring, but eh, who knows in the future. Yeah. Uh, there are a very small number of references to Caius in Forgotten Realms lore and old adventure supplements. Very, very small. But all you need is one. But all I needed was one. To make it canon. Yes. And much like the CCC program, I pitched the AO program as well with this as the like the tip of the spear. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about ways to expand like just market availability yeah. and to show some of the really flexible things we can do with the system and the organized play system specifically. And when I pitched it to Wizards, it was like, I want to use Caius. I want to use this adventure setting that is adjacent to what we're doing in our core storylines, but whatever they do in this this series doesn't impact the core storylines. It's just a cool extra thing they can go do, an extra bit of basically lost lore. And I, I dredged up a whole lot of ancient Netheril. I embellished a bit here and there. And that first Caius adventure, there are four monsters. That's it. And it, it's all isolation. It's, it's like alien-style uh, almost horror game. Mm-hmm. Every single monster is terrifying. Yeah, as it should be. <laughs> the entire thing is terrifying. Uh, it, it was interesting feedback I got on that because when I finally submitted the the whole thing for uh, uh, approval for publication, uh, the feedback I got from Wizards was, "Were you in our design sessions today? Because these monsters are in the next book." Nice. Oh, <laughs> nice. Even yeah. though I'd already gone and created all the stat blocks. So that was the spawn of Caius. That book finally came out, mm-hmm. and they were almost identical. Nice. It made me feel real good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So I wasn't in that meeting, but maybe in spirit a little bit. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Gave you a little warm fuzzy, unlike yep. all your players. And what what turns you on about Caius? Why why is that your your special your special bow? So there are a lot of story opportunities with it. It's you can look at it superficially and just think this is an evil god. It's a god of undeath. It's the god that pursues undeath as the, the the true divinity. Because if you're alive, you eventually die, and if you're dead, well, you're not doing anything. Undeath, you just are. Mm-hmm. And Caius, that's what Caius wants to work with. Uh, there are also other things that drive Caius. That's just a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down. But sure. <laughs> uh, there are there's just so much flexibility with it because I mean, it's not a bunch of undeath gods running around already. That's true, but uh, some of the lore that exists for Caius uh, it talks about how this is a, a a being, a divine being that can't actually be killed because mm-hmm. he's already undead. Well, he can't really be banished anywhere. He can't be turned. Every time they destroy him, he just sort of reforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is unto himself his own divinity. So I was able to take some of those early lore hooks and build on that. So every adventure that I've put out with Caius, you don't actually find Caius himself as as the god. You find an aspect of him. Because that one aspect is just a shard of the the overall divine being that has been captured and placed somewhere. And we can explore, in those adventures, powerful choices. Caius represents a lot of untapped potential. He can empower people to, to do great things. Terrible things, but great things. Sure. And when we get into those adventures, we, we see people, uh, generally NPCs, but in one case an actual character, uh, become consumed by their desire for more power. So we see NPCs that are canonical to Forgotten Realms lore, like Larlock, mm-hmm. one of the Netherese liches, uh, exists in Warlock's Crypt. Uh, and his compatriot Rogaloth, another Nethery's Lich, also in Warlock's Crypt. Uh, they have, Which is an older adventure. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a location uh, just north of Candlekeep on the Sword Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't really been featured in many uh, ad- adventures across the years mm-hmm. uh, because it's historically just been set aside as uh, this is where adventurers go to die. Uh, in in other lore, that's where Zastam uh, actually did his second apprenticeship mm-hmm. uh, to Larlock himself. Larlock is the oldest being in the realms, older than all of the dragons, every everything, hmm. and he is the most paranoid of all liches. Like he's got a, a huge power base and just untapped potential. Mm-hmm. Elminster had to drop a city on him to slow him down. <laughs> no, slow him down. Slow, slow him down, down because he was immune to everything that Elminster was casting. And that- happened that, relatively recently it did it was terms, in like one in of the, the sundering books uh and it was just like coinciding with the launch of fifth edition yeah uh as far as storyline goes it was about four years prior to all of the current events mm-hmm. uh yeah dropped the the floating city of shade Thiltanthar, just dropped it on him and destroyed mr nor in the process which is in the Cormanthor Forest, yep. not far from the Moon Sea, where right. all the CCCs yep. take place. Exactly. South and west-ish of it. Yep, pretty much. Yep. Yep. Uh, Geography checks out. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Bonus points. Gold yeah. star. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of disgusting, because there are certain completely non-existent fantasy lands that I know their terrain and geography better than certain areas of the real world. Right. I want to go to the store, so I get out of my driveway, I turn, it's left, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. But you drop me in Cormanthor, and sure, yeah, we can figure that out real easy. Yeah. You need to follow the morning star about 12 paces that way. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Uh, so with the, the Larlock and Rogaloth adventure, where we've got Caius present, uh, there was a character who had played a previous Caius adventure, had already been afflicted with some of the, the, the really, really dark curses, and during this one, gave in. Just there was things were going very poorly for his his party. He decided, you know what, I'm gonna give in and I'm gonna try and buy my party time to get out of here. Ooh, boy. and it it worked. I pulled the uh, I pulled the player out in the hallway and said, "Are you sure you want to do this? Explain the ramifications. Like this is going to it will destroy you. Yeah, the character's gonna die. This character, yeah, your character is gonna be dead. And he says, "I'm good with that. How far can we take it?" And this had to be a higher level character, right? Yeah, yeah, he was 17. And that's that's a lot of effort. It was a lot of effort. And just the, the glee on his face when he said, I will do whatever it takes to save my allies and get them out of here. Uh, long story short, I worked with him, and uh, we ended up turning that character into a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the villainous actions were, were pretty horrific, and they were off, off screen. They're told through, through retelling when you meet him. Uh, but we turn him into a villain and primary antagonist for the third adventure. Neat. So. That's super cool. I mean, I tried to I tried to die the first time I played. Well, I kind of did die. You you did. When I played the first one, you died actually twice. <laughs> you were also the first person to die in that better. adventure. I, no, I well, mm, not mm, kind of. Not all the way better. The you never get to, all the way better. And actually, the reference to your character dying in Window to the Past, the first of the Kai's adventures is written in as a uh, canonical it's, flashback moment in yeah. that adventure it's in the really Polish stabby I got stabbed I, yeah. I asked to be stabbed you did it was the thing to do mm-hmm. so your most recent publication yes is uh, a chapter part of Pip Yap's Guide to All the Nine Hells uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> tier four uh, yep I wrote the tier four section for that which is Kenya. Can't, no, no, a little no. bit Nessus, further. Nessus, Nessus, yeah, Nessus lives. It's like the the scab on the bottom of reality. Mm-hmm. It's a not fun place. I mean, it's in the Night Hells. Go figure. Um, but it is the lowest of the low, and literally nothing exists beyond it. So if you find some way through Nessus, well, I guess you're gone. <laughs> good, good luck. Reality just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it, but it it deals with uh, Nessus itself is Asmodeus. Uh, there are uh, infernal contracts galore. The adventure itself uh, features a place called the, the Gorge of Slaughter, so it's sort of gladiatorial combat. Um, you're sent there for a very specific reason, but we didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on the entire layer uh, because characters will get lost. There's so yeah. much that they can do there. Uh, we wanted to spotlight something so that players could come in, have a four or six hour experience, and then go back about their day. If they want to stay in hell for a year, well, that's, I hear, built into the adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's it's pretty interactive in that way. So that's about your adventure, but the whole publication was yeah. a combined effort from the Adventurous League admins, right? Yep, yep, it was. Uh, when we knew that, we, that Wizards was going to be doing Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus and providing a whole lot of details about Avernus itself, but nothing about the rest of the Nine Hells... Uh, we pitched this as an expansion product mm-hmm. because uh, we wanted to empower DMs to have some really cool story options, and we wanted to update some of that lore. Um, historically, let's be honest, the Nine Hells maybe haven't been written in that great of a way. They they hit on some topics that aren't necessarily desirable in mm-hmm. modern media, and we wanted to keep those things relevant. So uh, as a team, we went through and 
we added some lore, we updated some old stuff, we adjusted some terminology and some verbiage to make it more palatable for, for modern audience, while still maintaining a lot of the original intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's be honest, there were some things that are just not there anymore. And that's fine. It's still very much hell. Right. But yeah, we, we detailed out all eight of the other layers. We added in a bunch of adventures, and we also added some guidelines for people to create their own adventures as part of that CCC program. So tell us more about that. The CCC side of things? Yeah. How okay. people can create their own adventures sure, on the sure. CCC side of that. So we wanted to give people a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. uh, while still using that product. So uh, without needing a whole lot of clearance from us, uh, other than a code of conduct, really, uh, you can write your own content. There are three pre-approved layers of hell that uh, we we just, the only thing we ask is you keep it to a maximum of, like I think we said, eight hours. Uh, which is a lot of time. (laughs) It can be a lot of time, but some events really like longer game experiences and more power to them. Uh, It covers tiers one, two, and three, and uh, they get a story award at the end that just says, like, you've been noticed by the powers of hell, and you, this character can never come back here for any reason. To that particular layer of hell. To that particular layer. So Interesting. Right. And... uh, that jives with the way, say, like uh, teleportation magic and such works. Asmodeus has now created a barrier, so you can only if you're going to the Nine Hells, you can only teleport into uh, uh, Avernus, yeah. and you can't get to any of the other ones. You have to walk there, or know a guy who knows a guy who knows a devil that for the right price will get you where you need to go. Sure, sure, everything's got a price. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Gotta have good shoes. And so, so. I don't need to get that approved by the admins. I can just send my code of conduct and say... As long as your event is approved, then uh, if you wanted to go nuts and create some pre-approved content, there's a little bit of a story seed already in the Pipiap's Guide to the Nine Hells book. Mm -hmm. Uh, You use one of the three established layers, take a look at our CCC guidelines, just so that you know like what tones we want to hit and what, what sort of content is considered to be blanket approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, just bear in mind that you're writing for a mass audience and not just an audience of your couple of tables at your event. And uh, generally good to go. Like We do encourage questions, absolutely. Sure. And those are things that people can put on the DMs Guild afterward? Absolutely. And official CCC and people get XP from them? And... Yep, yep. They don't need to run the adventure by us to premiere it at their event, mm-hmm. but when it comes time to publish, that we do need to see. And uh, the, it hits all the hallmarks that we're looking for. You, you don't have something that's, oh gosh, so super crazy that we just roll our eyes back so far in our head that we fall down. Yeah, it, which and Elminster. You know, <laughs> like Elminster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, it's, it's my understanding that um, before it's published, only the author can run it. That is correct. Yep. That's oh, correct. okay. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, that was very important. I've um, been working with some authors on some Pipiap content for a couple of shows, and it's it's been a bit of a sticking point on how many hours can we make them run games? <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to let the, the DM sleep at some point in time during right, the Right, right. How exactly. many hours are they willing to run the game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll be having some Pipiap content at both my charity conventions, actually. Um, D8 Summit as four Pipiap adventures. Nice. And Save versus Hunger has one eight-hour Tier 3 adventure. I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm real happy to hear everyone's going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> we are all going to hell. Um, speaking of hell, oh yeah, we we actually went 
to hell. Yeah, you went to hell. I was there. It was great. Yeah. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that event? Absolutely. So Baldur's Gate descent into Avernus. Uh, when the characters get there, the whole place feels like Mad Max, right? It's just crazy machines. Stuff's over the top. Well, we had an opportunity, and it was a whole lot of absurd factors that just they synced up so perfectly. I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Friday the thirteenth, September, Friday the thirteenth of uh, of last year, was a full moon. It was. It was. Wait, how old that? It was the pre-release weekend for the Descent into Avernus book, which happened to be the weekend that we were running our Vote Pipyap event, called Vote Pipyap because we actually put the NPC Pipyap into the formal office of mayor of Hell, Michigan, with the hundred gamers that joined me at a private facility with a very cheap bar. <laughs> I the, the election was rigged. The election was the election rigged because was rigged. it was hell. It, it, I, I still say the former mayors deserved it more. You know, the former mayors were doing their best. <laughs> to be fair, worst, the, the former mayors were the mayor on Friday the 13th. Pipiap just got elected on Friday the 13th. It's fair, fair, yeah. fair. <laughs> it was that pesky full moon. It yes. was that pesky full moon. So so it, the bar mm. was a biker bar, right? It was. Yep. So it's a biker bar in Hell, Michigan Yes. on Friday the 13th. Yep. On a full moon. Yep. That's a wild con. And electing an imp to be the mayor. A fictional... Which was really weird clearance. I had a lot of emails back and forth that I wanted to put a fictional character as the mayor of the village. And ultimately they got back to me with, yep, sounds cool. Can we check it out? (laughs) (laughs) And it was a super fun event. Um, We did a lot of the Pipiap content there. Yeah, Uh, we also did the open, the epic... Yeah, a lot of people created their own content. We mm-hmm. ran some of the adventures from the uh, book itself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone ran the tier four one there because no, that was that it was that was a little much. It was it was a little bit a little bit much to uh, prepare in the timeline that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was an absolutely amazing. I was fortunate to be able to uh, DM for that event, and I had mm-hmm. a wonderful table. Um, we, 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 we shared some experiences together, and we all became much closer friends as a result of that. <laughs> and, and I didn't throw anyone in the lake. I really... And there are a lot of lakes around that. Like, yeah. we co- it, yes, it's Hell, Michigan. It's such a beautiful area. It was very nice. It, I mean, it's, it's not convenient to get to by any means, but... It, and the weather was beautiful. The, the, <laughs> the weather was awesome. It held out. We had a bunch of Airbnbs on the lakes. Out. It ah, held out. But that whole area is surrounded by lakes, and so many of the attendees just got Airbnbs that were on Lakeshore somewhere. So even after we would do our games, and we had games roughly 12 hours a day, they were still commiserating outside of those walls. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to a a local hotel, which there really weren't any. There were no hotels. (laughs) There there are no hotels in hell. There was the the one bar in the village that, I mean, they, they seat like 15 people, so they'd fill up pretty quick. But everyone was going, and, and they were continuing to be friendly after the games for, were done for the day. And they were hanging out, and there were campfires, and so many people, you know, cooking s'mores and all sorts of stuff. It was mm-hmm. really, really cool to see players bonding that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so many really cool elements lined up. I really, really enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to doing something like that again. What are you going to do next? <laughs> okay, so okay. That's, that's under wraps. We're sort of. I'm toying with an Eberron event. Okay, oh. but it's not confirmed then. So it, it is not maybe, confirmed. Maybe, maybe. Toying. 
toying. Yes. Toying. We'll keep our fingers crossed on that. I know I, for one, love Eberron, and I know that a lot of you all love Eberron, so let's everybody cross your fingers together. And if you have not played the Eberron Oracle of War Adventures, I also think the first that. three are out on the uh, DMs yeah. or the first four? The first few are out on the mm. DMs. At least, the, no, it's just the first three because James's just came out and everyone is terrified of his cabin. Yeah, they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really fun. They're they're a very different direction than what we've seen out of D and D and organized play. They're very um, very western, almost kind of mm-hmm. firefly meets Pulpy. a fistful of dollars. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much Eberron in a nutshell. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But th- no, this is more like desert southwest and well, bandits the, and yeah, the Mornlands. Precisely, yep. precisely. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great campaign they've got coming up. Um, coming out right now, and yeah, I I I want there to be an Eberron event so I can run. Well, I'm not gonna run all of them. That'd be crazy. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a lot of long days. So I can run the ones that I like. Yes, exactly. So, um, speaking of Eberron, yeah. we've got all these great settings for D and This seems like it's the golden age of D and D. Yeah, for sure. It's certainly the best I've seen it in my my years. Mm-hmm. What factors do you think have led up to this being the golden age of D&D? How did how did we how did we hit this? Visibility. Really? People get excited about sharing stories. Like not just Dungeons and Dragons. We always get excited about sharing stories. Humans, like we oral tradition goes way 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 sure. way back. And now with so many improved excuse me, improved tools and improved access to tools to share your stories. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, uh, pick up your your phone and you can you know, do a voice call with somebody, you can do a video call with somebody. With the improved access to those those sorts of resources, more and more and more people, more people than we've ever had in history, are now empowered to share their stories in a way they see fit. YouTube, Discord, you name it. Yeah, exactly. Everything. And using Dungeons & Dragons as a way to help communicate those stories and get people involved in your stories has been absolutely critical in the overall success of that. It's an, it's a, it's an attainable rule set. It's as complex or as simple as you choose to make it. It's inherently simple, uh, but if you want to get into the full bells and whistles, you can gussy it up however you like. Mm-hmm. And we see all sorts of just really wild streams out there. We see personalities that we, we may not have been exposed to Otherwise, things like Critical Role, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a bunch of people that were playing games together that finally decided to turn on a camera and share their stories. Mm-hmm. And look how that's grown. And, but we look at how things like Critical Role have started up and what they've inspired. Mm-hmm. They've grown, sure. Not everyone's going to be a Critical Role, or maybe somebody listening today is going to be the next Critical Role, and that's awesome. Just get passionate about sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Whatever that story happens to be. Tell tell dark horror stories. Have slapstick funny stories where kobolds run around and stand on their heads. Whatever. As long as you enjoy it, your passion becomes it becomes contagious. And you know, contagion is not always a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Positivity. It, you know, positivity is something that we desperately need more of in the world. And sharing stories is a great way to foster that in everybody. So you think it's largely been 
a technological revolution. The the computer is once again, or the internet is once again a disruptor. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not just the streaming. There are so many really cool digital tools out mm-hmm. there, uh, the accessibility to you know, Reddit and Facebook and all these other resources so you can connect with your gaming community. Mm-hmm. Historically, like when I was a kid, D&D was this thing that you knew about, but it was the nerdy kids. They would like play in the basement or they would play in the, the little closed small room in the school library. And you knew it was there, but you didn't really know much about it. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward to now, if you want to find out basically anything about anything, look it up on the internet. Right. And it's on we, Facebook. It's on Facebook, exactly. And if you want to learn the, the, the nitty-gritty, like the, the fine details about how something works, odds are there's a YouTube series or a Twitch show or something where someone is going and explaining all the inner workings of a system or a device or how does a lock work, you know, whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be your interest. Access to all of these tools smooths out the on-ramp for the new player experience. Mm -hmm. And it also shows that there are multiple different ways to ingest and consume that content. Not everyone's going to play the same game. Not everyone's going to... Not everyone should. Exactly. No, that would be boring. I love sharing stories about this, about my own gaming experiences, especially when I know that I'm talking to someone who has played the same adventures, because we can commiserate on the differences as Mm -hmm. well as that, that little bit of overlap. That's one of the things I love about organized play, because it's the play itself is fun, but the afterplay of how did you solve this problem mm-hmm. and what did you do here? Yep. What choice did you make and why did you make that choice? It's it's all a jungle gym. How'd you swing from bar to bar? Like let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, and I love organized play too. For all the the new faces you get to meet, you get to come in and people who've never played before they do something and you're like, wow, that that was crazy. What made you want to do that? And they're like, I don't know. It seemed like something Conan would do, and you're just like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Ain't wrong. No, yeah. yeah. No, you're wow. good. Wow. I, I like it. I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> <laughs> so so I before we met, and we've known each other since fourth edition ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um before we met, I, I heard that you once had a game store. I did. <laughs> that, <laughs> that you know, there's a lot of people that have that dream of owning a game store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dreams are good. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you don't so, have it anymore. No, I don't have the store anymore. I've, I've changed some career paths around family you work expanded. in IT. I, yeah, and I've sort of been in and around IT for a lot of my professional career. But mm-hmm. uh, friends of the family had owned stores for years, and I sort of assisted and gotten to know like some of the ins and outs of, of it. And uh, some, some things just lined up. I had the opportunity to go into business with a friend of mine, uh, we had it, we opened the store in a small village, like like twenty six hundred residents. Oof. The building was free, so that was oh, a big that, oh man yeah because it <laughs> was in his family expense. and they they weren't charging us anything mm-hmm. because they just wanted the building to be used right. So yeah we, yeah we're good with that. Like that is pretty much your biggest expense. Yeah yeah. And it was it was a ton of square footage. We had I think like twenty eight hundred square feet, mm-hmm. uh, which is about half the size of a grocery store. Some depends on where you're at. Yeah. It's three times the size of my condo. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it was old village. It was a, a store in the downtown area, so mm-hmm. old wood floors that had been installed in like 1910. Everything's wow. super creaky. It was great to play Call of Cthulhu in the basement. I bet. <laughs> Turn the lights down, dim. Right, uh, but like it was his lifelong dream to just open the store, and that was about as far as he had gone with it. He had a yeah. business plan, and you know, I don't want to 
downplay that. Like he, he knew some, some more of the business side there. And what was driving me to get into it was I wanted to help grow communities. Right. So I, I worked hard to bring in organized play from multiple publishers, uh, war game minis and tabletop RPGs mm-hmm. and card games, uh, and getting all of those communities to uh, crossbreed, mm-hmm. right? To get them to bleed over and see how other games are enjoyed and consumed. And it, it didn't take long. Within a year, year and a half, uh, uh, Pathfinder was, was the really big thing for, mm-hmm. for us at the time. Uh, we were running 35 tables a week. 35 tables a week in yeah. a village of 2,600 people. I had people driving 90 minutes each week. So that was in. multiple nights then? The oh, yeah, yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't a one-day thing. How many tables would you have like on any given night on average? Most nights I'd have probably four. That's, that's um, really good. Saturdays, for... <laughs> Saturdays were, were just storming busy. And then yeah. Sunday afternoons, we, we Sunday afternoons we usually ran about ten tables. But still, wow. for a village of twenty six hundred, mm-hmm. even having four tables, that's 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 something. That's mm-hmm. a higher density of D and D players than most mm-hmm. places I've seen. Yeah, and like fourth edition was, uh, we, there would be weeks where we would have a huge number of fourth ed tables, and mm-hmm. some not so much. Uh, getting into like early fifth ed, uh, fifth edition mm-hmm. release. We saw those numbers flip, and like just fifth edition took it by storm. Yeah, it was ridiculous how many people were wanting to come in. And actually, with the store, that's where I got my, my first taste of uh, event configuration. And right. Without that experience, like the vote pip yap thing never would have happened. Sure. I mean, the the first year we ran an event in store, and I was talking to my business partner and said, "Hey, we can do this. We'll set three days. It'll be great. Like we're gonna schedule fifteen tables over the course of three days because." That's what we need in order to get product support from these publishers. It's like, you think we can do it? Like, well, it's gonna be hard to get GMs, but we'll give it a shot. I ran thirty. Oh, <laughs> oh god! For our first event. All right, so the convention went off with with smashing success. Then I would say. Year three, we scheduled sixty tables and ran a hundred and ten. I understand that pain. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just clone all your DMs? Uh, I had some really cool people step up, and yeah. I had some people like just come into the store knowing that they could DM. Uh, all of my DMs, I'm I'm a very firm believer in taking care of my my troops. Yep. So like, if you're DMing for me, like I will do everything I can. Any product support I've got to give you, definitely taking care of your lunch. Yeah. So like, you bamboozled some of the players into becoming DMs. Yeah, I had some really, really <laughs> talented DMs come out of that player pool. I bet. And they've gone on to do some really cool things as they've you know moved around for school and, and mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. It's it was really really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that said, we had to take a hard look at what we were getting out of it. Even with those big numbers, like was I making enough to support my family and for my business partner to support his family, and you know have the life we wanted to have. And ultimately, we had to make the hard call to just admit, like, it's not it, it's not the retirement income that we were right. you know, hoping for. Uh, so we had a great time. It's like I, the old joke, what's the difference between a large pizza and a game store? Mm. A large pizza can feed a family of four. Oh, oh you're not no. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is a labor of love, and there are yeah. some stores that have been out there for a very long time, and they work incredibly hard. Yeah, uh, it's just it's so key for people who have this interest to, to remember that players have a lot of options. The internet's a big place. Online gaming is a huge thing, mm-hmm. and Amazon is always on the horizon. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know they they've got dramatic markdowns, and people are going to want to pay the least to enjoy the most. Sure. So 
how do you incentivize people to come into your store? For us, it was community and organized play. The experience. It's a game store as service. Yeah, exactly. Game store as a service is a great way to say it. Yeah. Uh, and that's a cultural thing that we here in North America can enjoy. But mm-hmm. like, if you go to the, uh, to the UK, they don't necessarily have that same flexibility. A lot of those shops are very, very small. Right. Exceedingly so, small. They've got enough space for shelves and a cash register, and that's often about it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a Warhammer store, actually, when I was in London, and mm-hmm. um, they had a fold-up table for where they would do their... Their demos. Their yeah. d- demos. And when it was unfolded, you, you couldn't shop in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no shopping. Um, you'd have to ask the players to hand you something from the shelves, which actually is a lot like the first store I initially ran games at. We outgrew the space and they had to rent the store next door so that their customers could shop again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. You're welcome, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, for years I had heard about uh, Orcs Nest. Uh, yeah, a, yeah, a store yeah, in yeah, London. Yeah. Uh, they, they've got a, a... Orcs Nest is famous. It's yeah. been around forever. Yeah, and I, I was in London last year for, uh, uh, for a couple of days before UK Games Expo and uh, wanted to just wander around and take in the sites and I happened to walk by where Orcs Nest is located. I was not prepared for that to be the size of my kitchen. Oy vey, really? Well, it's a two-story building. Yeah. So two kitchens. It's like two kitchens, one on top of the other. Uh, Yikes. But they are stacked to the gills, just mm-hmm. shelves and just stuff everywhere. And it's it's well-organized. But that's a, a prime example of a store that has found a way to, to hit their audience without having table space. Right, right. Hmm, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, as a person who writes for Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing game products, and mm-hmm. who manages uh, organized play, you go to a lot of cons. I do. You are a con man. What cons do you go to? What I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a what? A con man. <laughs> I, no, no. I, Allegedly. I, okay, that that is hearsay. <laughs> I mean, hearsay we believe, but hearsay. Uh, what what cons do you go to? What are some of your favorites? Where are you going next? Uh, well, next I have an event called ZiegeCon uh, mm-hmm. in in Novi, Michigan, uh, which is Detroit. That's a, yeah, not suburban far Detroit. at all. Yep. Uh, very very happy to to see that grow. That spun out of a local store, and mm-hmm. we've seen some really good community stuff grow out of there. Uh, my usual events are the the common destination events. So I have Winter Fantasy. Uh, which is a very much a D and D centric event mm-hmm. in Fort Wayne every February. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Indiana. Uh, we've got Origins is about a fifty fifty for me every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just comes down to paid time off in the office if I have enough days. And that's uh, Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Gen Con in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and uh, I try and get to regional events as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to support that. So if if an event is within an hour or so. I do everything I can to get there. There's yeah. there are some really cool uh, game days and such that happen around like University of Michigan campus that I'll try and drop into, uh, Michigan State campus. Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan has uh, has a whole lot of really interesting stuff that's starting to, to crop up as well. And unfortunately, I can't make it out there as often as I'd like. Sure, uh, I can get more towards the Detroit area stuff because I have a three year old and I can get the in laws to take care of him sometimes. Nice. Grand Rapids is two hours in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah. 
So, uh, so other than the aforementioned cons, where are you going this year? Do you have your schedule laid out? My, my schedule this year is actually pretty reserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to spend as much quality family time as, as I can, uh, sure. quite honestly, because I didn't have that as a kid, and mm-hmm. I don't want my little boy to have that same feeling. Right. So uh, ZeechCon's here around the corner. Uh, I've got a Jasper's Game Day thing coming up in Seattle. What's Jasper's Game Day? Uh, Jasper's Game Day is a teen suicide prevention and awareness charity uh, mm-hmm. set up actually by someone from uh, the Zeech community. Uh, uh, Fenway Jones mm-hmm. lost a friend of hers, Jasper, to, uh, to suicide a few years back. And I've known Fenway for a while. I've, her dad has been a, a pretty influential organizer mm-hmm. uh, for 5th edition and for Adventurous League. And uh, they, they set up this, this little charity to remember Jasper and it has grown by leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. So they've got events all over the country now. Uh, they've had a couple international, uh, just developing community a- across the world as a mm-hmm. result, and, and spotlighting a pretty serious concern. So how would somebody get involved in one of these uh, Jasper Game Day events? Uh, really, it's reaching out to Aaron or Fenway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Jones. Fenway Jones is actually the, the, the face of the organization. Just Google Jasper's Game Jasper's Day. Jasper's Game Day. Yeah, it's, you can yeah, just, Twitter and Facebook. Like the, yeah. Those will be the, the main points of communication. And uh, just let them know that you're interested in supporting, whether it's by a monetary donation or a product donation or, or running or an event. Or hosting an event. Yeah. Yes. Hosting an event is really the most impactful way to do it mm-hmm. so that people can talk about it. What is it? How, how do I get involved? How do I learn more? Sure. That's how we learn, right? That we're back to that oral tradition, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. sharing our stories gives them value and increases their present value. And if you're already running an event, um, much like I, I do for some of mine, they're more than happy to just kind of tack that on to yours. And so you can, you know, now run your event and also help kind of give back to your community and support those. And Finway's absolutely an inspiration. I love working with her and her plus one, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, highly, highly encourage it. They are some of the most lovely people I know and have ever worked with. Mm -hmm. So, we're about to the end of our time. Is there anything else you would like to hear, tell our listeners? Get excited. Stay excited. Do the thing. Don't let anyone ever make you feel like you can't or that you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Because we all have different stories to tell. And I've told a lot of stories. It's time for people to hear other ones. So, so come on, step up. Let's do it. <laughs> He's got a three-year-old. He's got to spin that way. That too, but there, there are so many more stories out there. Don't be shy. Awesome. Well, that's great. So uh, if one of our uh, listeners wanted to find you out there on the Internet... What would you suggest? How would you suggest they get in contact with you? Careful Googling. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're uh, on Twitter. Well, that's true. Twitter is probably the, the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. I've, I've scaled back a lot of my, my Facebook sure. time. Uh, Twitter is at Warftiner, W A R F T E I N E R. It is a completely garbage word that means nothing. Okay, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask. Sounds like a kind of beer, almost. It, well, okay, yeah, you caught me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bastardization of Warsteiner. Uh, uh, it is okay. a German beer. Uh, I, I needed an email name at one point, and their vendor had dropped off a free mug, which I had about 100 pens jammed in. And, or the stylized S for right. Warsteiner. Like which yeah, looks it like looked, an F. It looks like an F. Yeah, that, that'll be available. Sure enough. It was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
so that's at W-A-R-F-T-E-I-N-E-R. And yeah, if you if you find me on Twitter, I talk about all sorts of goofy nonsense. I had a post the other day about like, how's your day going? I've talked about, uh, oh God, what was it? Uh, Friendship Ham. Friendship, Friendship ham. ham. Friendship Ham. It's animate objects on ham. You throw it at your foes and they're either going to become your friends so that you don't hit them with hams or uh, they become the next ham. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, I've never talk- heard of animate ham before, but yeah. there you have it. Yeah, it's animate objects. It's now Friendship Ham. That's how my players at home enjoy that particular spell. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I spend a lot of time with IT topics and just general world observation stuff. Sometimes it's really bad. Okay, a lot of the times it's really bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you you are a dad. You do have certain responsibilities. Oh, that goes way way farther back. Yeah. If you're uh, if you're looking for me on the internet, you can find me on my Twitter, which is at Paige Lightman. That's P A I G E L E I T M A N. You can find me on Facebook. I'm either in the big fifth edition Facebook group or there as Paige Lightman. You can also find me on my website with my husband. It's called BenAndPageWrite.com for a mix of science, D&D, and all kinds of stuff. Lots of spreadsheets. Get your spreadsheets. I'm suppressed. Oh, yeah. You can find me online on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. I'm on Facebook and Instagram under the same. And also my website, which is JennyLoveday.com. I like to keep it simple. You can find the round table on Twitter at DND Roundtable. D, the letter N D Roundtable. You can find it on Facebook under the same. And you can always shoot us an email to dndroundtable at gmail.com. Please like us on Facebook and leave a review on Facebook, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast. We appreciate your support and feedback, and that's it for this episode. Tune in next time. Thank you.